know, the core meditation trainer is really an anchor to continue to serve our customers' needs in an ever-expanding way. So that's starting out for us with meditation and breath training, but it's really about healthy behavior change. It's about emotional and behavioral health. And over time, it's about learning from our communities. After facing a period of anxiety at the start of a new demanding job, Sarah McDevitt discovered meditation and the transformative power it had in shifting her mindset and coping with stress. This experience inspired her to launch CORE, a personal meditation trainer that uses dynamic vibrations to help you stay focused. You're about to hear how she built CORE from the ground up, including how shifting her mindset changed her fundraising experience and why a single thing won't ever make or break a business. Coming up, Sarah shares her background with meditation and how it helped her navigate a stressful time in her life. She explains a proven critical mindset shift when speaking with VCs. Sarah shares how she deals with failure and what it ultimately means. How CORE has implemented a work culture that encourages its employees to bring their whole self to work. Why she reminds herself that while she is the CEO of CORE, CORE does not represent her whole identity. Finally, Sarah shares the importance of owning how you want to impact the world. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. so excited to finally sit down with you. It has been many months in the making since we first connected and and chatted about sharing your story and journey on our podcast. So thank you so much for, for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. And I love it now because our team has your product, the, yes. the core, core meditation, the balls here. So I love that I can now speak to how our team has been using this. So when we first connected, you know, it was because a mutual connection of ours thought that we should be introduced. And then right away, I'm like, oh, the social flight team needs core. So <laughs> I would love to hear from you a little bit about when your passion for meditation really started. Yeah. Oh, and I absolutely love that your team has core. That's so meaningful to us. So I was first introduced to meditation after a period of anxiety for me. I was, you know, starting my career out at Microsoft. I was there for several years, great place to work, but I decided that I wanted to go to grad school and kind of explore something that was closer to the impact I wanted to have in the world. And it was in that interim time where I was quitting this, you know, great job that I was so privileged to have. And I was really confident in and making this big decision to go kind of pivot my career. And I suddenly just felt so much anxiety. It was kind of crippling. And I'd never experienced that before. And I think that's, you know, as I talk about it, so many people come to me and say, yeah, I, I felt the same thing. And it was during a time when I was supposed to be feeling successful. You know what I mean? And we almost have this, I don't know, a little bit of shame in saying that like, you know, I was feeling this anxiety when I was in the midst of the plan that I had made for myself, mm. you know, but it really knocked me sideways. And so someone introduced me to meditation at the time and it really clicked for me personally, but also really put me on a path to say, you know, why didn't I learn about this sooner in my life? 
And what is this? What is it doing for me? Like, what's the science behind it? How is it connected to other aspects of my health? And so it really was the perfect time for me entering grad school to be able to go research it. So did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneurista? Oh my gosh, not at all. (laughs) It really wasn't until I had kind of the mental space in grad school to really open up my thinking and creativity, but I didn't go into that thinking I want to start a business. And it took being surrounded by that culture and other people starting businesses and other entrepreneurs and listening to things like this, going to meetups with especially women who had started businesses to then see myself, you know, in that and say, oh, I could actually, like, I could be in this room, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and open that up as a possibility. And then it really wasn't until I had the idea for CORE and I just got so excited about the impact it could have. And I just thought I absolutely have to try to make this a thing in the world. What was your original idea for CORE? And is that what it actually is today? (laughs) It has evolved a lot, but it is at its core, no pun intended, (laughs) pretty much the same. So I had originally been working actually with teenagers and their teachers and how to bring breath training and really science-backed interventions into the classroom for anxiety, for trauma recovery and things like that into schools. And so I was kind of like, well, hey, if I can get a busy classroom of 16 year olds to do five minutes of meditation, you know, every day, I feel like I can help all of us be able to do that. And putting something in their hands physically was the hook. I mean, it just made it so much easier to focus. And so then I started testing that concept just with really simple, I mean, we started with clay and stones, Mm -hmm. and then we 3D printed and ultimately, you know, developed it into the concept it is today. But really that hook of having something tangible in your hands to focus on during meditation and breath work was the original anchor point to the whole idea. Can you describe for our listeners exactly what this core meditation ball is now? Yes. So it's, I know we're on a podcast, so you have to check out our website to see what it looks like, but it's about a softball sized sphere and We call it the core meditation trainer. You hold it in your hands during meditation. It's got some nice heft to it. So it's very centering, very grounding. And we guide meditations with vibration paired with our great instructors from the app. And so you actually get this really tangible, physical way to guide your breathing and understand these exercises. And then we back that up with biometric feedback. So you're thumbs on the device are sitting on biosensors so that you can see, you know, how is this exercise actually affecting me personally? And is it working for me? You get to see all of that after each session. It's so cool. So wait, what were you studying when you went back to grad school? It was actually a master's in education, but I kind of got to focus on whatever I wanted to learn about. And so I really focused on behavior change and behavior science, how we learn things, and then, you know, targeted that towards mental health. So now you're in these schools with these teenagers practicing meditation with them and you start to realize that, wait, there could actually be a business here. So how did that evolve into core? And can you walk me through like what the early days of the company were when you were first starting out? Yeah, I took a big step back after I graduated and there was so much powerful response from not just the students I was working with, but the teachers and every other you know, I probably put core, the original core in the hands of about 400 user testers, just to see 
what people's response was. And it was so powerful that I knew there was something there. And so I took a step back to kind of look at the broader industry. There were meditation apps, you know, out there at the time. This was about five years ago now. And the number one thing I'd learned in all of the research behind meditation was that consistency was so important for us to get the effects, you know, the well-researched effects at the end of the day. And the problem with the apps, some of them are, are so fantastic. And if that works for you, awesome. But people typically find they're very hard to stick with. Mm-hmm. So my goal was really to set out and build something that really helped people stick long-term so that we could all get the great effects of meditation over time. So interesting. So when you first set out to start Core, did you raise money initially or did you bootstrap your business before raising? Yeah, so we're hardware. So we definitely had to have a fundraising plan to get into manufacturing and production. And we also wanted to make sure that we were taking a really R&D kind of slow approach to product development to make sure it was... you know, we were building the right thing that people really loved and had a a good impact. So we did take our time. I was lucky enough to be able to spend, I think it was about six months prototyping and figuring out what the heck this business was going to look like before trying to raise money. And I met my co-founder at the beginning of that time. We just started prototyping together. I knew I needed someone with app development and electrical engineering skills. And so I met Brian. We started prototyping together we're working 10 hours a week and then 20 hours a week together and then 40 hours a week together. And then he was like fully in. And so that's kind of how the co-founder relationship progressed. And so once he was fully in and I'd kind of spent that whole time really developing the business plan and researching what was out there and what gaps I thought there were, that's when we started to think about fundraising and went out to start to talk to angel investors and get feedback and iterate how I was pitching the business. And then about Six months after that, maybe three months after that, we got our first venture check. What did that feel like the moment you finally got that yes? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I have this great picture of Brian and I at a bar across the street from where (laughs) we signed the papers and we have like beer and French fries and we're just like, what just happened? (laughs) A lot of fun. And, you know, looking back, I think the fundraising journey is such an opaque you know, path. It's such a black box. And so I feel really lucky to have gotten that first check to even put us on the path because now when I look back, it was such a mystery how that all worked. And I understand more about it now. I think it's still difficult, but that's an area that I love to try to shed some light on for people just starting out the journey. Yeah. Tell us your best tips, you know, the lessons learned from that fundraising process. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? Because many of our listeners are fundraising now or they're thinking about it. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for me, and I still, I mean, I literally put post-it notes on my wall to remind myself of this, is to put yourself in more control than you think you have. And it's really the fundraising process can feel like such a difficult power dynamic because Mm -hmm. at any time you're fundraising, you really feel like you need it and you need it now and you need it yesterday and you need more and that you're asking investors for money. But the real shift is that investors have to invest money. That's their job, like at least in venture capital. And it's their job to find the best companies to invest that money in. And they're required to deploy that capital. And so as much as I can shift my mindset to being like, well, what a gift I'm giving them to, you know, the opportunity 
to have my amazing company come across their table and what an easy decision for them to invest their capital in, you know? And if you can really shift your mindset to that, and I mean, it literally takes meditating on it, affirmations, post-it notes on your wall to say that, you know, if this is going to be the billion dollar unicorn business that I believe it can be, what a lucky, fortunate circumstance for both of us, me and the investor to come together and get on that journey together. And if you can really shift that mindset, it just completely changes how confident you feel in those conversations and how much more in control you feel of that power dynamic. That is such great advice. Now going a little bit deeper, I want to know what that looks like on a pitch call or, you know, you're pitching on Zoom now and yes, we can have that confidence when we're pitching, but are there certain things that you recommend that someone says or things that we should not say when we're Mm -hmm. pitching to really express that dynamic? Yes, (laughs) that is where it becomes tough. And these are things I literally write on post-it notes. I think one of the things I've learned to say is to be extremely direct about the ask, you know, at the end of a pitch. And it's less like, so will you give us money? It's more, are you going to join Mm -hmm. this journey? And it's little shifts like that that are saying, this is going to be a billion dollar business. Mm -hmm. I have full conviction in that. Are you going to get on board? And if they say no, okay, we weren't the perfect fit, but this train is going. Like this train is going where I think it's going, you know? So I think working that confidence into every piece of the pitch. I think the other interesting factor for me is just how much you can control the process of fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so especially pre-seed and angel investors, this isn't quite as applicable to that. But once you're getting to seed, you know, in sort of an institutional round where you need a lead investor, I think it's really important to control the process so that you're pitching everyone in kind of a tight window of time. So if you can get your introductions, have your, you know, target list of people you want to talk to, and then really push all those conversations into like a two week to one month span, then you can really say, you know, I'm talking to everyone in this month. I'm controlling the process in this month. (laughs) You know, you're at conversation one. So is everyone else next week? Everyone's going to be at conversation two. Are you on board? Because other people are going to invest if you don't. And, you know, I don't quite say it in those words, but but I kind of do, you know. (laughs) How long did it take you to realize this? Was it just going through that initial like pre-seed angel round? And then you kind of just like picked up on this? Or did you have a conversation with someone? They were like, hey, this is everything that you should do and try this. This might work. The latter. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me years. I'm still learning this (laughs) because it's always easier said than done, you know, because you, you know, you finally get connected to the target investor that you want to talk to and you want to talk to right away, you know, and you have to kind of gauge, is it better to have a quick conversation with them where they get to know you and then say, well, we're not, you know, I'll follow up in a month when I'm really doing the raise, or is it better to, you know, kind of push them into that month and delay it? And that's a little bit of a personal feel for each entrepreneur. But I definitely, I think a lot of the specifics about controlling the process, I asked founders who had just successfully raised really specifically how they ran their process. So even to the detail of like, exactly how many investors did you put on your initial target list? Was it 50? Was it 100? Was it 200? And usually it's like 200. (laughs) 
And then, you know, literally, did you do your data room in Google Drive or Notion? You know, like that level of detail from another founder who's raised a similar round from investors recently, I think has been really helpful for me. Those are such great tips. Any other tips about fundraising you can share? I think one other is just how to deal with the no's, the rejections. And it's helpful to build that big target list of, you know, 100, 200 names or whatever it may be, because I started to view, let's say you just build into your mind that if you pitch 50 people, you are just guaranteed to get investment, 100%. And so then as you click through the list, that means that over 40 are going to say no. And so that's just expected. As you click through that list, you're like, oh, there's a no, but checked another one off. I'm just getting closer to my investment, you know? And so that really reframed, you know, what otherwise feels like, 40 rejections. Yeah. It just feels like you're actually executing on a process successfully. <laughs> yeah, that is such a great tip. So glad that you shared that. And it made me think actually when you were talking before about changing your mindset, I'm like, oh, you should have a fundraising meditation on your app. Or maybe you do, and I haven't seen it, but I feel like no, that's I a, love that. Yeah. Send it to founders. <laughs> yes, I love that. I'm having one of our amazing core instructors record a little affirmation just for me for fundraising. And so maybe I'll share that with you guys. You should. And then we can send it to all of the I founders that. that are raising money and it can become the new meditation mantra for if you Great want idea. to raise, you you listen to this core meditation and you get Sarah's mindset and you're going to be golden. <laughs> I love that. Let's do it. <laughs> Coming up. You'll hear Sarah share how she had to pivot after launching a meditation studio in March of 2020. Sarah, have you noticed any surprising wellness trends that have come about, especially over the past year with everything that's happened with COVID? Yeah, I think an odd sort of silver lining is how openly people are talking about mental health now. And obviously it comes from reasons I wouldn't wish on anyone, but when we started CORE, we were carefully talking about mental wellness, mental fitness, using all these words that weren't mental health. And that's because previously people had such an association with the words mental health with mental illness. And, you know, at CORE, we're really all about that taking care of your mind is an act of strength and it's for everybody and it's proactive and it's at the foundation of all of our other healthy behaviors. And so during this last year with 2020 and the pandemic and just layers of challenge and trauma for many, many, many people, we really saw a difference in how everyone was talking about mental health and really using that phrase to describe not only the struggles they maybe were having, but also how proactive we all realized we needed to be in taking care of our mental health. And so I think that's very sobering reasons for it. But ultimately, I think it's a positive that we are really openly and candidly talking as a culture about mental health itself. I could not agree more. It is so important. What is your work culture like at CORE and how does it align with your personal values? One of the things that I, when I was just starting CORE, you know, didn't even have like a name yet or anything, just had barely made the decision to go start a company. One of the things that I wrote down was that it must be possible to build a successful company while being mentally 
healthy and well, because so much of the narrative about entrepreneurship is that you have to, you never sleep and you sacrifice all your relationships and your health and all of that for building this company. And I just refuse to believe that that had to be the case. And I think that narrative disproportionately discourages women from starting businesses, because if you have a child or you're a primary caregiver or you know, what have you, and you're hearing that story, you're like, well, how can I sacrifice all those things? I can't. And so that was one of the kind of stakes in the ground that, that I personally set out with. And that has really been a priority for the company culture. We don't entirely prevent feelings of burnout or stress, obviously, but when we do experience those, we try to be really open about them. We have implemented a three-day weekend every month. So if one doesn't fall on the national holiday calendar, we just make one up so that everyone has a little bit of, you know, a little bit more breathing room. And we just really, really openly encourage people to bring their whole selves to work. Um, And that has many positive implications for just feeling like an inclusive workplace. But I also think is important for feeling mentally well, that it's not this work persona you have to put on, you know, and then transition into your personal life persona that it's really one and the same and feeling really supported and included to bring that full self to work is something that that I'm proud of at CORE and that we really explicitly try to support. How do you share that with your team? Is it in the hiring process that you let them know, you know, what your company is about and you make sure that your values are aligned with theirs? I talk about it in the hiring process. I, it's also part of every employee's, you know, day one onboarding with me. And then in, you know, in our all hands meetings, we start every all hands with a meditation all together. We often do team shout outs or personal shares and, you know, just a lot of, I think it starts also from the top of, you know, when someone does share something, my reaction to it in that all hands, I think, you know, has to set a positive mm-hmm. model for how everyone else responds really openly to whatever people are sharing. Were you working remotely prior to COVID? No, we had an office space. We were all together, mostly together. I'd say we've always been open to it, but yeah, we had to take that leap with everyone else to figure out how to be a fully remote team. Are you still fully remote? We are today. Yeah. And we we now have people in some different cities as well. So it'll be interesting as we come back. I think we're planning to do kind of a permanent hybrid model, but we haven't exactly figured that out yet. I know, still us too. It's still a work in progress to figure out what the future of work will look like for sure. How else have you had to pivot your business due to everything last year? Well, we started, we launched with a meditation studio in San Francisco that we had opened in February, 2020. And then boom, shelter in place. We had to shut it down four weeks after it opened, which was super sad. I mean, so much, you know, blood, sweat and tears went into opening this beautiful Mm -hmm. space. And it was, you know, it was kind of emotional. Like we opened this beautiful, amazing feeling studio and we were bringing community in for group classes and it was really powerful. And then, you know, we had to shut it down and just completely pivot our marketing strategy to go from that being kind of the hub and place where people could really experience core, you know, at least locally to just becoming a fully digital e-commerce brand. How did you handle that situation personally? Because I know as a founder, it's, you know, it's your baby and you've now worked so hard to launch this studio in person and then everything changes. Like, what do you do in those moments to 
stay grounded and to figure out how to pivot and problem solve? I think as an entrepreneur through the roller coaster, you have to really, and I've heard this said to me, so I'm just repeating other people's words now that have become very meaningful to me, but you have to really love the problem solving and the process of problem solving, no matter what the problem is. And so I think when COVID first happened, I mean, we were all figuring out, is this a two month thing? Like we had no idea we're going to be sitting here a year later, you know, still working from home. And so initially it was just solving the immediate problem. And then, you know, two months later, you, we have a new understanding of what the path is going to look like. And so we solve the next problem and that kind of disconnects you in a way from you know, whether it's this amazing studio you have to close or it's just a bug in your app or it's a new business problem, it disconnects you a little bit emotionally from each of those things. And it's just excitedly tackling the next problem to solve. Is this something you've just learned over time being an entrepreneur or did you know that this was going to be the reality of it when you first set out to start core? <laughs> I think you can hear it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then once you live it, <laughs> You really know it. But yeah, I think one of the reasons that I was excited to start CORE is because I already had that kind of love of problem solving. I was in engineering before this. And so I think that kind of mindset of like, you know, how can I problem solve my way through a math or computer science problem yeah. or whatever? Those aren't the problems I'm solving anymore, but I apply that same kind of enjoying, you know, just rationalizing your way through a challenging problem um, to business. I think it's definitely such a common thread and theme with, with all of the entrepreneurs I speak to and myself personally, I feel like it's like an addiction to solving problems and then seeing other problems that exist and coming up with new ideas to be able to solve for them. And then, you know, when personal things happen in your life, it's like, oh, got to solve another problem. And you just keep going and having that resilience. So yeah, I, I definitely see the common thread with so many incredible, incredible women that I speak to. Is there anything that you wish you knew that you know now when you were first starting out? Mm. Well, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, even that, you know, how you just described that resilience, I think, and what we were just talking about with problem solving, I think is, is even something I would have liked to know even more because any single problem, I don't think is going to make or break your business. You know, it's the combination of thousand decisions, a thousand things out in the world, some of which you can control, some you can't, that's going to make or break your business. And so I think it really helps me be able to keep pushing and be resilient and continue to maintain my mental wellness to realize that no, no single issue or no single decision is going to make or break us. Sarah, can you share a little bit about your marketing strategy, especially when you first launched the business? Because I imagine, you know, the first day you go live and you need to find customers. How did you do mm -hmm. it? Well, one of the things after our meditation studio, unfortunately, had to close, I almost felt like we had to pivot and figure out how to relaunch because that studio was such a big part of our early days. And so one of the things that we've found to be really successful is really organic partnerships with, I'd call them influencers, but you know, from micro to major and kind of all across the spectrum. And even thinking of our users as 
you know, little seeds of influence in their communities. And the way that we approach partnerships is really prioritizing, you know, sort of depth over just promotion. So something that we recently launched that I'm super excited about, one of our partners, Ray VB, she's a an amazing photographer in the entertainment industry and music industry. And she started using Core and really loves having Core in her routines, you know, to go off and do these amazing creative photo shoots. And so not only does she, you know, share her journey using Core with her community, but she also recorded a introduction to her favorite meditations and breath training in the app. So that's, we like doing those kind of social through product, really in-depth partnerships with people who genuinely just use core every day and love it. Yeah. I mean, when I give advice to brands about partnerships, I always share that working with your real brand ambassadors as these content creators and your brand evangelists, they're the best people to talk about your products and your services. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that that's a great strategy. Can you share a little bit about how you structure those type of partnerships? Because I know a lot of our listeners, again, who are just starting businesses, they're trying to figure out, you know, who should I work with? What influencers or ambassadors should I work with? And how do I structure those partnerships? What have been the most successful ways for you to structure them? Yeah, we've done a combination. You know, cash is always challenging in the early days and you're always pushing to work with, you know, bigger and bigger people than you can afford, so to speak. And so we've also done affiliate for sure. I think that's something that people can really leverage. And then we also do equity. And I think there's, multiple reasons that I like that as a model for some of these partnerships. One of which being that it's, you know, you're then both super aligned and growing value, just adding value to the business. But also, you know, there's so much interesting conversation going on now about creators and making sure that they truly have ownership and aren't being, you know, just sort of used for their content creation. And so I think it fits our values to really make sure that even partnerships are really equitable. And that if we're asking you to add value to core that you get to share in a little piece of that. Up next, Sarah tells us about her ideal day outside of work and where she sees core in the next 10 years, plus a rapid fire Q and A. So Sarah, this is a fun new segment that we're doing that I didn't share with you ahead of time. So we're going to do a little rapid fire questions, just a few. So the first thing that comes to your mind, are you ready? Oh gosh. Okay. I'm ready. (laughs) It's easy. I promise. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. You said it was easy. (laughs) (laughs) Thoughtful, open, and intelligent. If you could learn one new skill today, what would it be? Singing. Ah, What is your most used emoji when you text? Oh, I go for the like non-emoji. Like I still use punctuation Ah. with just a little tongue out smiley face, like colon P. (laughs) That seems like it would take a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old school. I love it. What is one app on your phone that you can't live without? I think I know the answer to this. The core meditation app. (laughs) Is there a second? Notion. We're heavy users of Notion and my co-founder has gotten us on it and I've started using it for personal to-do lists too. And I love it. (laughs) You are probably the fifth person that keeps talking about Notion. So I think (laughs) it's time we finally check out Notion. So thank you. (laughs) Sarah, do you have a hidden talent? Oh, dancing maybe. 
Ah, so you can dance, but not sing. Yes. <laughs> My dream second job in another life will be like as a backup dancer for someone cool. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> I'm awesome. not that good. <laughs> I would like to think I am. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Mm, I would love to be able to teleport places. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I just, see. I just want to go visit friends, you know, and yeah. just teleport into their living room. <laughs> that is a good one. Let me know when you get that superpower and share it with me, please. <laughs> yeah. I want it too. Yeah. That wasn't so bad, right? <laughs> what does your typical day look like when you're not working? I usually get up and try to do a long trail run. And right now I'm living with my cousin, who's my basically like a sister and she's my best trail running buddy. So we like to go on a long run and then eat a major breakfast, like big egg sandwiches or cinnamon Mm. rolls and then take a nap. (laughs) That's pretty much the first half of the day. (laughs) You're getting me hungry. (laughs) What are you doing this weekend? Any fun plans? I'm doing exactly that. (laughs) We're doing a long trail run on Saturday and then there's a donut shop that we're going to go to to get maple bars. It's all at balance, you know? <laughs> it's true. You can't go all in on one thing. You have to <laughs> yeah. spread the good stuff around. <laughs> Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live by or that defines your work ethic or values? I think one that's been really relevant the last couple of years has been remember you. Mm-hmm. And I say that to myself. <laughs> and it means a couple of things to me. I think one, it means... I tend to really extend myself. I really want to help other people. Mm -hmm. I always want to be there for everyone that I can and for my business, but I don't serve that well if I get lost in that. Mm -hmm. And so it, it reminds myself to fill up my own cup and take care of myself. It also means to me to remember my inner core values, because I think wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, but for me, especially navigating the worlds of venture capital and, you know, business, and you just get a lot of critique and a lot of feedback pushing you in all different directions. And for me, I think it's just so important to come back to like, what's true to me? What are my values? Am I living those? Is my company living those? Are we staying connected to the impact we want to have? All those kind of things. So a lot of times my little mantra for myself is just remember you. Remember you. I love that. I'm writing it down and I <laughs> I think I might start using that too. So yeah, please do. please do. What are your inner core values that you come back to? Yeah, I think a couple come to mind really strongly. I think one is connected to why I started core, which is just that I I feel so strongly about people feeling really individually empowered mm-hmm. about themselves. And whether that means, you know, I, I just I never want someone to feel that feeling of anxiety or depression or just feeling lost in the world. I feel so passionately about myself and others feeling that internal contentment and confidence and self-assuredness that they are okay and that they belong in the world. And so being really open and inclusive and helping people feel like they belong is just, I don't know if that's a value or a mission, maybe both, (laughs) but that's one of the ones that really drives me. I love that. What is the vision for CORE? Where do you see the company going over the next few years and beyond? We see such a huge opportunity in broader connected mental health. You know, the core meditation trainer, kind of our flagship product is really an anchor 
to continue to serve our customers' needs in an ever-expanding way. So that's starting out for us with meditation and breath training, but it's really about healthy behavior change. It's about emotional and behavioral health. And over time, it's about learning from our communities what they need to be able to feel that really strong, solid mental health over a lifetime. And so in five to 10 years, we want to be the leading tool and platform and service provider for connected mental health. Well, I already know just by knowing you for the short time <laughs> that you will be there and, and that vision will become a reality because <laughs> Thank I, you. I know nothing is going to stop you from achieving that, that goal and vision. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. What are you most grateful for every day when you wake up? I am extremely grateful for my health. Mm-hmm. I think that has really been reminded, you know, so much this past year. And I'm extremely grateful for my family and really close friends and just the support system that I know that I have around me. Yeah, so important. Have you had mentors in the industry over the years? Or is there a particular mentor you've had that's really helped you or, or shape how you've looked at life or business? Mm. I often take the approach of taking little tidbits from a lot of people. (laughs) So I wouldn't necessarily point to one, although I would shout out two actually of CORE's investors, both women, Shapriya from Sparrow Ventures and Kate from Bolt, who was our very first investment check. Kate led that. And they have truly been, they've really opened my eyes, honestly, to women supporting women. Because before this, I was in really male-dominated teams at Microsoft and Nothing wrong with that. Great men that I worked with, but Kate and Sheree have both been just incredible personal supports in addition, obviously, to supporting the business. And so they've shared a lot of wisdom with me along the way and just really genuine support woman to woman. That's so wonderful to hear. Do you believe in work-life balance? I think I know the answer to this based on this conversation, (laughs) but any other tips on how our listeners and entrepreneurs can really achieve this? I very much believe in work-life balance, although not necessarily that there has to be this split in between Mm -hmm. them. But I do think that even if for some period of time, your work is your number one priority, which I think is fine. And that is each of our choice at different times in our lives. But I think even to serve that, having creative pursuits outside of that that are completely different Or one thing that's really important to me is having a really diverse social group because I don't want to just talk to people in tech. I don't get as much of a new perspective on things as if I'm talking to people who are in completely different spaces coming from completely different life experiences. And so if I don't, you know, spend time in my personal life and social life and other hobbies, then I, if I do spend time on those things, I feel like I actually get more creative, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that even serves my business goals. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, Sarah, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it means really owning how you want to impact the world and how you run your business. And that it's really fine to do that from a very feminine perspective, if that's how you own it. And it's time for just so many new new and different expectations of how we are leaders. And so really owning that is what being an entrepreneur means to me. I love that. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story and journey with us. I can't wait to continue to follow all of the incredible things that you're going to be doing. And we'd love to continue 
continue to stay in touch and celebrate you. Where can everyone find you, follow you on social media? And then for our listeners who are interested in purchasing Core, learning more about Core, where can they do that? Yes, you can visit us at hellocore.com. And pretty much on all social, we are at hellocore or at hello underscore core. So find us on Instagram, chat with us on Twitter and pay us a visit. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.